Tonight's reading is from Ephesians um, chapter 2, um, verses 11 to 22. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves a circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is God's word. Well, evening. My name is Zim Akoli from New Life Church. Capit is but let me pray for us as we uh, spend some time together thinking about what God has to say to us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, as the psalmist says, uh, open my eyes that we might see wonderful things in your law. And we pray that you do that uh, this evening, that you'd open our eyes at home as we are, that we would indeed see wonderful things in your law in the words of life in, in the Bible. Pray that these things would help us and build us up as your people at uh, this day and in this coming week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you've heard the story of the mountain climber who, he goes climbing uh, a mountain in the countryside and something happens and he somehow slips and he falls. And he's hanging on just by his fingertips on this cliff edge with certain death below. And at that point, he, he looks up at the sky and says, if there's, anyone up, if there's anyone up there, now will be a good time to show yourself. And to his surprise, a voice comes booming back from the sky and says, yes, I am here. I can help. But you're going to have to let go first. And so he pauses and he goes, is there anyone else up there who can help? <laughs> it's a funny little story, but it just displays that this guy had his own picture of what it meant to be rescued. He had his own picture of what rescue would look like. And the question I want us to consider this evening is this. Can we possibly do the same with the cross? Is there a possibility that we do the same with the message of the cross? How do I know if as a Christian, even though I say Jesus died to forgive my sins till I go blue in the face, how do I know that I'm not just hanging on to my own picture of rescue? Well, what I want to suggest to us from Ephesians chapter 2 is that it has everything to do with how 
I engage with church. It has everything to do with how I engage with church. As we come to Ephesians chapter 2, we come to Paul's message of the cross. And he delivers that message in two parts. Uh, and so if you're reading Ephesians chapter 2, if you, if you just stopped at verse 10 and put away your Bible, it would be like going to see Avengers Infinity War and never seeing Endgame. And who can live with the tension? Like, you need to see the epic full story. And this is what Ephesians chapter 2 is. In verse 1 to 10, if you had read it before, you would have learned that sin has left us naturally dead, spiritually dead and separated from God. But God, who is rich in mercy, gives us new life through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So praise God. Amazing news. But part one ends in a cliffhanger. Have a look at verse 10 in your Bibles, Ephesians 2 verse 10. It says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. To me, it doesn't sound very cross-like. What has the message of the cross got to do with being created in Christ Jesus to do good works? Well, in verse 11 of chapter 2, therefore, I, I'm going to expand and show you how the cross has everything to do with being created in Christ as one new humanity. And that's where we're going this evening. We're going to see this, that from alienated people, Christ creates one new humanity by his blood to be members of God's household. So first then, from alienated people. You know, there's nothing more natural to us as human beings than to alienate, to divide, and to be hostile to each other over our differences. We've seen that in the last week, haven't we, in the U.S. People violently rioting over their views on politics. Maybe closer to home in the U.K. with the government's handling of coronavirus. It seems that they can't please anyone. Boris is damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. In London, in our city where we live, children murder each other on the streets over differences in postcode. Well, it was the same in Paul's day. Jews and Gentiles are these two groups who were hostile to each other over their differences. Have a look at verse 11. It says, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves decircumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Let's pause there. See, Paul's hearers in Ephesians, uh, mainly Gentiles, that's non-Jewish Christians. That's mainly who he's speaking to here. And they only knew alienation from the Jewish people around them. They were mocked. They had this kind of nickname that they were called the, the uncircumcised. It's, it's a bit like saying you're, you know, the great unwashed or calling someone a chav or something, something like that. They were looked down on and it got really bad. Uh, here's how one Christian writer explains it to us. A guy called William Barclay says this, that it was not even lawful for a Jew to render help to a Gentile mother in her hour of sorest need, for that would simply be to bring another Gentile into the world. Now, in my neck of the woods, we'd say, that's pretty deep. Like, that's, that's, that's deep. But this hatred between Jew and Gentile was only a symptom of a deeper alienation. Look at verse 12. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. You see, there's the underlying problem. 
people who are without hope and without God in the world. And let me be clear though, Paul is not saying that Jewish people come into the world righteous and Gentiles don't. He's very clear in his letters, both Jew and Gentile come into the world unrighteous, separated from God. But being born a Gentile is a bit like playing golf. You'd rather not start with a massive handicap. And that's the problem here. Gentiles are born ignorant and excluded from God's promises. And so therefore the Jewish people looked down on them. But the reality is this is just the human condition. This is just the human condition all around. You see, naturally we are separated from our creator And so therefore, being separated from the one in whom we must find our true identity, we must necessarily try to place our identity elsewhere. So we try to form our identity around gender, around our political views, around sex, around race, whatever it might be. We need to find something else to construct our identity. But the problem with self-created identities is that they are fragile and they are arbitrary. And so we find ourselves having to protect this identity by being suspicious of anyone who's different, they, they become a threat or, or something to look down on. And so there comes the alienation in our world. But let me say this, Christians, for those of us who are Christians, at this point, with a world that is aching from alienation and hostility, there is a danger that we water down the full story of the cross. You see, we rightly do say that Jesus died to forgive my sins. And that is an amazing and true piece of news. But is that all we can say? Because is it just yay for me, Jesus is my homeboy? Is that all there is to it? See, what if the cross is a message that has a much grander picture in mind? What if the cross is a message that's bigger than just individuals, that has something to say to a world aching under alienation? That is where Paul wants to take us. He wants us to see this, that Christ creates one new humanity by his blood. Have a look down at verse 13. Verse 13 says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. But now, but now, there's a radical change of reality See, the day that I discovered that pret does a 99p coffee, gosh, that changed everything. Discovering Jesus is even better. Paul says, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Radical change. For me, this isn't hard to understand. Let me explain. I, I support Liverpool Football Club. I don't know whether you enjoy, enjoy football. I, I love Liverpool Football Club. I follow them. And when inevitably, at the end of this season, they win the premiership, which, which they will, what will I shout? I will not shout, they won. I will shout, we won. We won. See, because I'm united to them. I follow them, so what they do counts for me. And it is the same if I follow the Lord Jesus Christ, because in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You see, I, I have union with Christ. What he does counts for me. And so what we sing in that hymn, Man of Sorrows, is true. Bearing shame and scuffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a savior. Amen? Amen. And so verse 16 says this, that therefore, because of this, I've been reconciled to God. 
Well, because Jesus, he chose to be alienated from God on the cross. And so therefore, verse 18, I'm invited into the very heart and love of the Trinity. I have access to God the Father through the Son by the Spirit. That's amazing news. But the thing is, it's not all there is. There's even more. That's not all there is to the cross. Let me stop and tell you about a lady called Immaculate Ilibageza. Immaculate Ilibageza is a survivor of the 1994 Rwandan genocide. In a single day, most of her family and village were wiped out, killed by Hutu rebels. And as she fled for her life, running to find safety, of all people, a Hutu man, the rival tribe to hers, found her and said, come into my house, I can keep you safe, but you're going to have to hide. And, and he, he took her upstairs and he, and he opened this door and he showed her this tiny, smelly bathroom. Smelly because he had seven other women who were in there who had been hiding for days. And at that point, for Immaculate, it did not matter to her anymore that she was, in fact, from a very good family and a well-educated woman. At that point... If she wanted to live, she had to enter the same small, smelly bathroom as those other women, because that's how to be safe. I hope you see where I'm going with this. The cross, the story of the cross is the same. It is a leveling ground of rescue that unites us all. This is what Paul says. Look at verse 14. For Jesus, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility. You see, back in the day, in the first century, the Jerusalem temple literally had a dividing wall. There was a wall dividing the courtyard of the Jews from the courtyard of the Gentiles, a real dividing wall. But Paul says that the cross, such dividing walls make no sense anymore. They lose their power. Whatever our race, whatever our class, whatever our personality, our ability, we all come to Jesus the same way on our knees as sinners who needed nothing less than the death of the Son of God to bring us to God. I don't know, many of us maybe feel like second-class Christians as we go through life. Maybe we struggle to obey Jesus in areas such as addictions that we have or in areas such as our sexuality. We struggle to obey Jesus and we, we feel second-class. Or well, the cross says there are no second-class Christians. See, there is no Christian, even those ones who look perfect, there is no Christian who did not need the blood of Jesus. And so the full story of the cross is this. Verse 15, Jesus' purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Through the cross, Jesus is creating one new humanity. That's the church. This is God's big plan. This is what Ephesians teaches. Ephesians uh, chapter 1 verse 10 tells us that God plans to unite all things under the rule of Christ. And then Ephesians chapter 3 says that the unity of the church is the trailer that that plan is succeeding. And so instead of alienation over our differences, Jesus is our peace. Verse 14, because he made peace, verse 15, when he came and preached peace, verse 17, in his life, death, and resurrection. 
And so can I ask us the crunch question, have we understood the cross? Jesus is not just saving individuals, but a new humanity united and committed to each other. Uh, in his book, Be True to Yourself, Christchurch Mayfair's very own Matt Fuller points out very helpfully how our culture rightly values authenticity. We want to be authentic people. That's a good thing. But our culture tells us to look in the wrong place deep inside yourself. But the problem with that is it leads to anxiety. It leads to the fear of missing out, FOMO. Because for me to commit to any one person or any one place, well, I might be missing out and discovering my true self elsewhere. And so I'm always anxious about commitments. See, but us Christians, the good news is this, that you know who your authentic self is. You've been given it. You've been told you are saved to be created together as one new humanity. And so rather than fearing commitments to the weirdos at my church, it turns out that's where I'll find my true self. I'm one of the weirdos, but loved by God. And so I'm to celebrate, I'm to enjoy, I'm to revel in the unity that the cross brings. You see, whether I'm an imperial nerd who's finally making some normal friends at church, or whether I'm a busy mom who's reading the Bible one-to-one with a single woman, or whether I'm at a church prayer meeting and I'm hearing my brothers and sisters pray in their own accents, I'm to rejoice and to revel and to throw myself into that unity. And so what will our local churches look like as we live out this unity? Well, lastly, we're to be members of God's household. Look at verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. I don't know if it's easy to skip past those words, but let's just slow down. Because this is saying that in the church, the cross overcomes every conceivable social barrier. Ethnic and national barriers are overcome. The Gentiles were before, verse 12, excluded. Well, now in verse 19, they are fellow citizens with God's people. And so there is no place for xenophobia or racism in the church. It just doesn't fit. 2020 put a spotlight on racism in society. And rightly so. But the church should be a safe space where we can make progress. That's what the church should be. The cross takes away the need for us to judge or cancel each other with lazy slogans like cultural Marxist or white silence is violence. You see, instead, at the foot of the cross, in the church, the hurt can be heard. The confused can ask their questions. We can celebrate each other's cultures, and together we can grow in inclusivity. But also in the church, we find that the cross overcomes even the barrier of biological family. Verse 19 says that we are members of God's household. We're family. We're God's family. You see, for many of us, probably including me, the biological family is it's almost like sacred ground that no one else is allowed to step on. But that just is not true according to the Bible. <laughs> Sam Albury, uh, a Christian writer, very helpfully says this uh, in one of his books, this self-sufficient nuclear family is not a concept we see in the Bible. Our spiritual family needs our biolog- biological family. 
the boundary lines of our physical family should be porous and flexible rather than fixed and inviolable. Do you see what he's saying? He's not saying give up on your biological family. He's just saying you have more family. You have more family. And so our time, our wallet, our home is to be opened up to our church family. Now, of course, with lockdown, a lot of that might be very difficult to do. But we can still think to ourselves, you know, maybe if, if I'm a married person, who is a single person in the church I could go for that outdoor run with uh, as I go for exercise? Maybe if you're someone who's only averaging one out of four midweek evenings with your um, Knowing God group in a month, maybe it's worth thinking, what do I need to change in my routine so that that goes from one out of four to three out of four? Because my family needs to see me. <laughs> they're, they're my family, and it would be great if they saw me more than once a month in the middle of the week. See, it's always been God's plan that we need each other. That's always been the plan. Look at verse 20. The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Every building needs a good foundation. That's just basic civil engineering. And the church has been given that for free. Here you go. You get to have the completed work of Christ as taught by the apostles as your foundation. You can't get any better than that. But unless we are joined together, we are in fact an unfinished building site. You see, the same God whose glory filled the Old Testament temple and shook it is now coming to fill the church, can you imagine that, with his glory. But how do we get to, how do we get to experience the powerful presence of God in our lives? Well, Paul says, only by being joined together, verse 21. And verse 22, only by being built together. So there is no silver bullet as we come to a close. The only place to find a flourishing Christian in 2021 is joined together to their brothers and sisters in the local church. Let me pray for us as we come to a close. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Father, we praise you so much for this, for this news. We couldn't, we couldn't make it up. We couldn't think our way to it, that God would send his son into the world to bleed to death on the cross, that sinners like us might be reconciled to him, but not just reconciled him to solve and to reconcile that alienation which separates us from one another, to bring the two groups together and make them one, whether those be Jew or Gentiles, uh, male or female, black or white, right-wing blessing, whatever they might be, we thank you that in Christ we are one new humanity and that you want us to enjoy and to celebrate that unity that we have and to grow up together in that unity, to experience your presence at work in our lives. Please help us to do that this day, this week, and to keep thinking about these things. In Jesus' name, amen.